You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with New Radio Media, and we'll spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. If you'd like to call in, the number is 844-999-9249, or you can email us at letstalktorah at gmail.com. Uh, the weather is funny. It was beautiful. Then it became freezing. For some people in the Midwest, lots of snow. Had a little snow on the car today. Uh, but it's gone. We're into the 40s. And hopefully, as the week moves on, we get closer to Passover, the weather will warm up just like the studio, which I seem to say all the time. Anyways... You wouldn't have missed me last week because we had a special pre-taped show, which was really saved for right before Passover. But if you can imagine, I was sick. Can you imagine? I never miss work. But uh, I was forced to stay home. You could even say I was quarantined. Uh, We've all heard in the news about the measles. And yes, I too came down with the measles. However, unlike many people. Uh, First of all, I was vaccinated. And uh, I actually, here in Detroit, they were giving out people born, I don't know whatever number they used before 84, um, they said to re-vaccinate. So I re-vaccinated. And either the shot protected me enough that I had no symptoms till I actually got the rash. And then they said to swab. Swab came out positive. You have to stay in the house for a couple days, actually four days. So I had like a sabbatical because I couldn't do anything except study. And I wasn't sick, so I wasn't in bed. So um, it was a sabbatical, so I studied beautiful. Um, I had the rash for a day or two, but no symptoms. Not runny nose, not runny eyes, not a sore throat, no fever, thank God. I was really fine, except I the swab said I was positive. So... I know there's a lot of measles going around, and a few things might as well be mentioned about the measles. We all know it's very, very contagious. And if you open up your newspaper, you know exactly where all the measles seem to be catching. And almost all, not all, but most of the places are in Orthodox neighborhoods in Williamsburg, in Borough Park, Muncie is terrible, that's Rockland County, a little bit of Lakewood, New Jersey. Here in Detroit, we've had 41 cases, most of them in my neighborhood, and I wasn't the first wave. There is an area in Washington State where, as far as I know, there's no Orthodox Jews. Um, so, And everybody keeps asking me, is everybody vaccinated? What's with the vaccination? What do those Orthodox Jews think about vaccination? It's really very simple. There's numerous, numerous rabbis telling their followers they must be vaccinated. Anything else you hear is not true. They're saying you must be vaccinated. There's a lot of reasons why it may be spreading in Orthodox neighborhoods. First of all, you have to know like this. I was vaccinated. 
why should I have come down with it? No reason. Except it's very possible that those original vaccines given, I guess, in the late 60s, early 70s, either they wore off or they may not have been um, as good as the ones they're giving now. So, so we think we're vaccinated, and many of us may not be, not by choice, but because we're older. And I asked the doctor, I said, you know, I've been going to the doctor for years. My doctor should say, hello, Rabbi Jacobson, you got vaccinated in the 60s, you need a booster. No one said. So I asked, why not? So he says, you know, it's not like we give you vaccinations for cholera, which we give in, in uh, Africa, because that disease doesn't exist here. So since the disease was not around, they were not giving the vaccine. So they said there's no measles around, no reason to start giving all the vaccines. They may rethink that for people in my age bracket because they're learning new stuff. In my neighborhood, it's mostly men my age, which, again, leads you to believe that there's something in the early vaccines, either it wore off and people need to be aware that if they never got a second vaccine, it could wear off. That's problem number one. Problem number two is where the measles is really coming from. None of the measles, to my knowledge, started in America. It's coming from overseas. So you have people coming from other countries that are not vaccinating. Israel is one, but Ukraine is another. There's, there's other European countries. So people will come to these insulated neighborhoods where people get together a lot for prayer. And now, all of a sudden, you're in a room. Somebody brought measles. He's in a room praying, for argument's sake. And there's a hundred people in the room, but three or four of those people had my vaccine, which wore off. So now all of a sudden they're susceptible to the measles, and that's causing this this enormous spread, specifically in these neighborhoods. That's what seems to be happening, and they're trying their best to get a handle on it. It's a very hard disease to control once it's out there. But look. The health department uh, came down to my neighborhood when I took it, and hundreds and hundreds of people lined up to get their shots. The same is happening on the East Coast. Not only that, just so you know, um, the schools in New York and New Jersey that they're complaining, the health department is complaining, if the children are vaccinated, they can't go to school. And they're right, by the way. They should not be going to school. Those schools are 96% vaccinated, which is at least as good, if not better, than any public school that your children may or may not be in. Those, for the most part, are good numbers. They're just not good numbers when there's an outbreak. That's the problem. Now that we have this outbreak going on, so 96% is not enough, because that means you have a percentage of children that are not vaccinated, and they're susceptible, and once they get it, now it spreads, and it uh, builds on itself, uh, but hopefully... Um, everyone's getting a handle on it. That's a second issue. And the third issue probably is the anti-vaxxers who get their information out very persuasively to people who are probably not savvy enough to say, how do I know you're telling me the truth? They listen to a friend. They listen. These people are very slick. They have great brochures. And uh, the Board of Health in New York and New Jersey have both said that it's really their fault that they're not getting their message out that everyone should be vaccinated. So you had all these people that were told by anti-vaxxers 
that uh, you don't want the shots, causes autism. All these things have been proven to be not true. I read a bunch of books, and they claim they also read books. But uh, there's a lot, a lot of stuff out there. It's worth reading, very interesting reading. You just have to know where to go. As I heard someone say, you know, the Internet is fantastic because you can find out everything. The only problem is you could find out everything. So if you go to a website that's got people that are not as honest as you or they have an agenda, they can say whatever they want. And how are you going to argue? They say, fact, oh, it caused autism. But we have scientific evidence that it's for sure not true because they've done uh, who knows how many tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of studies. But you got to be in the right place. So you got to be smart. So the Internet may give us a lot of information, but the Internet does not always make us smarter. It just makes us more knowledgeable. But you got to have the right knowledge sticking into your brain. So that's all the good, the bad, the whatever's happening with measles. Um, look, in Israel, some children have died from it. It's a, it's a, it's a dangerous disease. Um, in, a, in New York here, I haven't heard... Thank God of anybody dying. But look, I know people lost their eyesight for a few days. There's all kinds of side effects. People could be weak for many weeks. Um, the, 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 the pain, it's very painful. I was not in pain, but it's like a burning itchiness in the rash. So again, if you have the symptoms, go get swabbed. Call your doctor. Don't go to the doctor's office and say, oh, I think I have measles. That's dumb. Right? You don't want to do that because uh, you're... You're giving it to the whole office. Don't go to the emergency room and say, oh, I think I have measles. You call them. They'll come out to the car. They'll tell you where to go, what to do. Be, be smart about the whole thing. They came to my house to swab me. Once I called and said I have the, the rash, they said, okay, we'll come down to your house. We'll be there in it was about a half an hour. They swab me. Stay in the house till we get back to you and tell you um, what we found. And uh, just be smart about it. So, again, it is, unfortunately, it's, it is still spreading. But hopefully, hopefully, with all the shots that have been given out over the last few weeks, everyone will, will be well taken care of and the schools will, will get their students back. And those people not vaccinated will uh, listen to reason. In New York, they're going to find people. In New York, they want it to be a state of emergency. I sat down with a federal judge this morning. And not that I was in trouble. We just, we have either lunch or breakfast once a year. This year was my turn. We had uh, breakfast in school, bagels, cream cheese, and black coffee. That's what the judge wants. That's what he gets. Um, and every other year I go to his office and I bring a nice pastrami sandwich on rye and the and coleslaw on the side. And that's pretty much what we eat once a year when we schmooze. And we talked about this vaccination. And I asked him, I said, legally, can a, can a state go ahead and demand vaccinations. And he seemed to say yes. He said because, because the state's job is to protect. So, again, I'm sure there's going to be lots of court cases, gets into a lot of uh, different, uh, different aspects of law, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, but, I'm, but you have to protect me, so how does it work? So I'm sure this stuff will stay in the news. Um, good. It's unfortunate it happens to be um, mostly but in the Orthodox neighborhoods because the people with the measles came to the Orthodox neighborhoods. And once they caught it, so they you know, were keeping it in those neighborhoods. So it's a, almost a little bit of bad luck of where the measles came out. But, okay, now, um, as famous people said, now you have the rest of the story. You probably don't have the rest of the story, but you certainly have um, a good part of the story. Okay, this week's Torah portion 
Gotta Talk, Gossip. Um, usually I say my intro earlier, just my first part of the intro took longer. Um, after our break, we're hopefully, if they've Skyped her yet, I don't know if she connected yet, we're still working. Uh, we have a guest from Israel, a fantastic um, teacher who teaches art. She may also be fantastic in creating art, but that's how her talent is. She teaches art. She has a fantastic book explaining art, what art's about, why we want to teach art to our children, why we want to encourage our children to enjoy what she calls Jewish art. Hopefully, she will get through on the Skype. We're working on it, and, um, and she'll be after the first break. So let's talk this week's Torah portion. Um, really a continuation of last week's Torah portion, but last week we were talking about Passover and my friend the sergeant. So this week, um, we're going to talk gossip. So the Torah is very, very, very anti, and anti is a weak word, but the, the Torah forbids gossip. Gossip, for the most part, means to talk not nice about another person, to put another person down, even if it's true. To harm somebody's business by talking, to hurt someone's marriage by talking, to hurt someone's friendship by talking. He's this, she's that, did you know this? Um, that's gossip. And gossip is not just frowned upon. Gossip is there's numerous prohibitions throughout the Torah that gossip is a terrible thing. The tongue is an amazingly powerful tool, much more powerful bombs, missiles. I mean, you look in politics, what they try to do to each other, they're forever um, going ahead and, uh, and throwing mud, as they like to say. And they could say whatever they want, it is true, it's not true, you have to defend yourself. I mean, good, I'm glad I'm not a politician, but you, you, these people can't live. They're forever just finding dirt and spreading it like there's nothing wrong. And the Torah clearly says there is something wrong. So you gotta have have some feeling what's wrong. So first we have to value the power of speech. Speech, if you think about it, you cannot touch speech. Yeah, nowadays we could write in our emails, same thing, but you can't touch speech. It's just air. It comes out of my mouth, there's sound. Even if you have your sound on your microphones and through your computers, it's it's not tangible. So if it's not tangible, it's extremely close to spiritual. And there's a physical world, there's a spiritual world, and there's our combination of a human being. And speech is spiritual. I give you an example. Fire, by the way, is considered spiritual because I know you can touch the coal. You shouldn't. Uh, but the flame, there's nothing to hold on to, right? And the flame, by the way, always goes up because spirituality goes up. Air goes up. There's nothing there. So you are using the power of speech which, by the way, there are those who say that the only reason a person can speak is because the person has a soul. Because I have a soul, which is spiritual, allows me to speak. Animals might communicate. Animals might make noises. And parakeets can make sounds and words, but they're not communicating. I don't care what you tell me. Animals are not communicating. People have conversations. We write books. We can, I can sit here and tell you about the Torah portion. It's not just, I need food, there's food. That's, we're, not, we're not talking about that. So speech is spiritual. So you are using something spiritual to harm somebody else. That's problem number one. The next problem that comes in with gossip is you really got to think about this very 
strongly. When what are you doing when you're putting somebody down? Right? What what are you accomplishing, or why are you putting somebody down? Generally speaking, if I put somebody down, I have my own chip on my shoulder, I have my own issues with my own life, and I want to move up. So it's easy to move up if I knock you down. So. If I'm knocking you down, I'm not happy with your status in life. Now, who gave you that status in life? Well, we believe God gave you that status in life. God put you where you are because that's where God wanted. God put me where I am because that's what God wanted. That's fine. So when I'm going ahead and gossiping to put somebody down, think about this. Am I saying, I don't like God's decision so much. I'm not so satisfied the way God is running his world. I personally think... I could do a better job. That was right. All said in sarcasm. Don't like cut that out and think that I said that uh, I don't like what God is doing, right? Let's be careful. So in any case, so if you're going ahead and using a gift of speech that God gave you, and because of that gift, you are putting somebody down saying, God, I don't like the way you set up the world, that is a problem. And therefore, the punishment is quite severe. And I'm for sure not going to have time to get into the full punishment because in our next segment, hopefully, uh, we'll connect on Skype with, uh, with Devorah, which we'll find out in a few minutes. Um, if not, when we come back from the break, we'll certainly talk about that. But everybody should be familiar. There's something called leprosy. The Hebrew word is tzara'as. We'll spend some time talking exactly what is this leprosy. Is it spiritual? Is it physical? Who do you go to, to for a doctor? We, we'll talk about it. Do you go to the priest for the doctor? And here comes my music. So... Hopefully, when we come back from the break, we're going to be joined by Dvorah Pia, author of The Joy of Jewish Art for Children. And if not, we're going to do lots more talking about gossip. So hold through the break. You listen to Rabbi Tzvi and Let's Talk Torah. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to Pop That Culture. That's a horror movie. <laughs> Bury the phone in the fat cemetery. It's got a cord. <laughs> I'm Ben Rose for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians and a playlist curated by me just for you. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. When I have a couple cocktails, everything's funnier. <laughs> I still just love that line. Yeah. Producer, director, how did this whole thing come about for you? Detroit. It's the home of some of the world's most talented artists. It's where techno and Motown were born. It's a city where you can experience raw, untamed rock and roll. I'm Ben Rose, and I'm inviting you to join me weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians, info on what's going on around town, and a playlist curated by me just for you. It's all right here on NewRadioMedia.com. Can that itch be caused by stress? Now, we already know that stress can increase your odds of everything from colds to cancer. And now there's new research to suggest that stress can also make you itch. You see, it seems clear that stress activity is the immune system of mice, making them itch, and the experts say the same is probably true for humans. The study from the University of Medicine in Berlin and McMaster University in Canada found that stress can exacerbate skin disease by increasing the number of immune cells in the skin. Now, these immune cells are believed responsible for initiating and perpetuating skin diseases that can make you itch. The report in the American Journal of Pathology indicates that doctors were able to prevent stress-induced increases in white blood cells in the skin by blocking the function of the proteins that attract these immune cells to the skin in the first place. Now, more work is certain to come in this area of research. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. 
it. Okay, and I accept. Beautiful. Okay, I accept. Okay. Uh, um, are we on? We are on. We must love modern technology. Um, I see Zach. Zach, uh, it looks like the Skype is coming on. It's not working yet. Um, she said she connected. We are, but we can't hear you. Um, somehow, I'm sure this must be exciting um, internet radio, um, we are working on connecting with uh, Devoa right now. Um, so again, they're probably going to send you another acceptance, and you have to accept. It's either... Okay. Okay, so they're calling you right now, and you need to accept when they call you. Like right this second. Okay. So while you're doing that, we're going to talk a little bit. We got it? No, but they're calling you. Give it a few seconds. I don't see a new one. A new one coming in yet. Give it time to come in. This should be entertaining. So we are nothing like watching people try to connect on Skype. So we're sending you to either Ian Benzman or NRM Streams. And when you see that, you have to connect to it. She says she doesn't see a new message. What do you oh, see? Ah, here, oh, here it is. Okay, I, I see that I missed the call, a different call. I didn't see it. Okay. So he just turned to call me right back, and I will try to see it. Okay, so they're going to try to call you. Uh, okay. Uh, okay, good. So, Dvora, they're doing it right now. They're calling you, so as soon as it comes through, you should pick it up. Like, uh, okay. like it should be coming through now. You know, Internet's okay. supposed to work throughout the world immediately. Clearly, it is not going as quickly as we would like. Are we being successful? Devorah, do you see it? No, I don't. Okay. Um, Devorah, I'm going to okay, ask you... Wait a minute. I'll just press this one again. Okay, press it again. If not, I have a different idea. I, I press on the camera, answer call with video. Right. Okay, I get it. I did it. I know. Is it working? Ah, oh, we got it. Devorah, we are on. Okay, There you are. Now I can hang up from you. Now I see you. Okay, Devorah, now, you can't Clear. see... Yes. Can you hear us? You should be able to hear me, but you will not be able to see me uh, because... Right. Is my ear right. You can't see me, Devorah, but I can see you. So while you're getting hooked up... Don't worry, I just have to introduce you first. Okay. So, with a little bit of technical uh, expertise from my <laughs> crack staff behind the glass, um, we are saying hello to Devorah Pia, artist, teacher, author of The Joy of Art for Jewish Children. Right Devorah, here. <laughs> here's the book. We actually have, or we see the book, but it's backwards. We, no, not for us, it's not. For us, it's oh, perfect. Okay. And not only that, my team has the book that they can put on the screen. I took care of okay. all that for you. So before okay. we start anything, um, who is Devora? Who are who you? Who am I? Who are, who are <laughs> you? Well, my parents, um, Devora Pia, I live in Israel, in uh, Ramat Beit Shemesh. And I've been teaching art for 40 years on and off. Both my parents are artists, and I was encouraged from the moment I was born um, to be an artist. And fortunately, I agreed, and I loved it, and, and it worked for me. And I'm 
this is what I would, besides my family and my close friends, this is what I I think I'm here for, is to disseminate, to give out information that most people don't know about or pay attention to about art and how it can enrich their lives and, and how it's connected to Jewish creativity and what is Jewish creativity that Hashem gave Jewish people an extra dose of creativity for very spiritual reasons. So, and we use it in, in, um, for, for, in our religious reasons, but it also, um, goes, comes out in our daily life and in regular mundane things like art, for instance, and other things. And by the way, I understand that uh, saying that Jews are actually highly creative people. The reason that I believe from my limited knowledge is that Hashem gave us this extra dose of imagination so that we can imagine one one God, one Hashem that created us, created the world and we don't need an intermediary, we don't need little Buddhas or crosses or anything else, we have it inside of us that immediate, that real connection to Hashem because we can imagine it and because our imagination is so so specialized in this area, it's rather to say it's not only in that area, that's where it starts from, from a spiritual root, but it goes on into our daily life, into other areas of creativity. And um, it's just uh, art is my specialty where I use my creativity. Other people may use it in any other uh, numerous uh, possibilities. So Jewish people are highly creative, and part of the, my goal to explain to, to let people realize is that because we are so creative, whatever your 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 hush is, whatever your talent is in any form of creativity, productivity to produce things in the world, that it it all starts spiritually. But to appreciate it, to recognize that we have this. This is what the book does. It helps us recognize, in in the field of art specifically, our talents, our abilities, and our ability to enjoy create um, creative expression, visual creative expression. And then when we can be happy with it and accept it, and we can pass it on to our children. I agree. So let's I'm going to interrupt you for a second. Yes. Because um, you said so many things that I was going to take slowly. <laughs> so, um, well, we all, can backtrack. Oh, it's don't okay. worry. That's what all my notes are for. Don't you worry. <laughs> so the first thing that's, that there's a few different parts of the book, which we'll try to get into. What's different about Devorah's book is not only is it, first of all, it's for children. And it's all kinds of projects, teachers, parents, um, with younger children, older children, all different kinds of materials. Not all the art in Devorah's book is drawing, which we're going to get to in a second. But the beginning of the book is fascinating because Devorah is busy explaining what art is and why art is important and why we want to teach it to our children. 
Um, so it's really, it's a very large book, but there's a lot of good information. It's a unique book. So let's take a few things slowly um, in the book. Oh, I'll just flip a coin. I'll pick one first. Um, I'm going to ask you the question, what is art? But I sort of led you on. It doesn't have to be drawing or painting. No, art is, art is a visual language that's put, visual language that is put down in concrete form. So I know, for example, as a teacher, I happen to love puppets. Oh, and I, and know, I have some right here. I, I just brought a few just in Oh, case. see, they're so <laughs> cute. And I think you told me even that they have facial expressions. So here you have art. You have, it's almost the wrong word. Like we say art, we should be using the word creativity instead of art. Am I right? Well, art is the the word the word art is often used very freely to, I mean, you could say somebody's an artist when they're a musician, somebody's an artist when they're an actor, so uh, a craft is an art. Art the word art it's amanut, and it really mean comes from the word craftsman, the 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 faithful craftsman of Betzalel making the Mishkan, the the Jew, amanut, but siur drawings and constructions to build something, three-dimensional things to make little houses and all this type of thing. It's all, it's a, it's intertwined and there's different fields like a musician, somebody who plays the guitar will not necessarily play the violin, but they're still a musician. So in your book, you're trying to give people a very broad view of projects that they can do with children that don't have to automatically be putting a picture onto a piece of paper. Right, 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 right. We want them to compose things, to put ideas together, to put different materials, different concepts, different um, in, internal um, expressions out into the world, mixing it with the materials, mixing it with their style, mixing it according to their age and their personality, and the message that they're trying to communicate, that all comes out in a work of art, any type, by a four-year-old, by a, a famous artist, a professional, by a, somebody that just does it for a hobby, that loves it and relaxes them, somebody that makes, there's, it's so, there's different types of art, there's there's crafts and jewelry and ceramics and metalwork and woodwork, etc. And then there's art that is realistic that maybe portrays um, scenes from history. We don't need that so much anymore because we have photographs and videos and cameras. But a uh, hundred years ago, the artist was was commissioned to to or or did it on their own was to, to um, record something in history on an oil painting, an oil painting, let's say, or a lithograph. Um, there's different, there's, then there's ceremonial art, the objects that we use in the, in the Bay Knesset in our home for the Hagim that were the, the roots of them coming from, from the Mishkan and the base um, and all these things, it's all connected. But there's, there's a type for everybody. We'll put it that way. There's something that everybody could fit in, find a niche in because there's so many possibilities. Yeah, you know, one of the things that teacher, um, and someone was mentioning to me today, you know, our children are in school for many, many, many hours. And most of the day 
is used, you know, feeding them knowledge and reading and writing and math and studying and chumash and the gamut of studying all day long and the the break of giving them an opportunity to use their hands, glue, color, pasting, popsicle sticks, anything that that helps them. In other words, we're busy studying all day, but how do I train my mind to think creatively? Um, all of a sudden, if I learn to use projects or art correctly, so not only am I teaching you something that you learned, but at the same time, I'm getting your brain to be creative. Is that... Right. Yeah, you... If the you do well, it's known in, in in educational form that if a child l- learns a lesson and then you ask them to do a drawing of what they learned or to create something about what they learned, but they have to have tools. They can't just. Uh, somebody um, approached me once, a kindergarten teacher, and she said that she read a poem about the beach to her her first grade or kindergarten class. Not sure. She read, and then she said, "Now do a drawing about the beach." I just read you a poem that had a lot of good words in it, a lot of images. Now do a drawing. What do the children draw? What do you think they drew? I don't know, probably they, a they sun drew. in the sky and a blue for the water. I don't know. A sun in the no, sky. What they no, drew? No, they didn't even do that. All they did was draw a house with a sun in the corner and some flowers and some butterflies because that's all they were familiar with. Nobody ever, they have to be acquainted. They have to be given the tools first before they can be creative. So they have to learn how to draw um, the waves, like half circles connected to half circles, like a cup, a half of a cup, a half of a cup, a half of a cup, or loops or something like that to explain how you draw the water. And then they need to be um, shown how to draw a beach ball. And then they need to be learned to show, you know, like a circle and how you do it. They, they were not exposed. We can't expect them to... Um, to know how to do these things if they never did it or, or were exposed to it. We, we need to show them examples and options and many ways to do the same thing. We don't want everybody to copy exactly what the teacher does. We want to show them three or four ways to do the same thing. And then they choose what, what fits them and what they like, and they use it. We, we don't want to limit them. And then they say, well, I... I can't do it. I don't like it because they don't relate to that one example that the teacher put on the wall. And they say, not for me. I don't want to do it. Um, my work is ugly. It's no good. <laughs> Let's throw it in the garbage. And that that you're, you're setting up, um, what's it called? Failure. That we don't want to, we want to set up, set up success. That really is fascinating. I never thought of it that way, that if I would ask them to draw or do a project, and I say, well, be creative, and they don't even understand what does be creative mean. So if I don't give you any ideas, more than one, of these are all options, now be creative with it, um, I've taken away their opportunity, and then they're going to get frustrated, and then they're not going to do their work. That is really a fascinating thought. I never thought of that. Um, but once you remind me of the house, so you told me a very interesting story when you were a little girl 
and a picture of the house. So if you could share that with us, I think it will give people a feeling of, again, about being creative and how to teach children to be creative. Could you tell everybody that story? So this um, is written in my book, by the way. All, the, all these stories are in the book to give everybody some new insights and inspiration. Um, what happened was I was about eight years old in an elementary school, and the, it was art time. A teacher came in and said, okay, we're going to draw a house in, uh, I don't remember what she requested exactly, but I drew a house with a girl kind of dancing around it and flowers blooming around and so forth, a lot of movement and action and so forth. And anyhow, the teacher went around to all the tables and she came to mine and she picked up my paper. I'll never forget that. She picked up my paper and said, oh, <laughs> and I was devastated. I thought it was great. And and then she picked up another little girl's work, which was the, the standard stereotype, at least in, in those days, of a house with two little flowers, one on each side of the house. The house had a pointed roof with a door and two windows and a sun in the left or right-hand corner. And she picked it up and said, this is good. And I, I thought, okay, this must be good then, the, the teacher says. So what happened was the girl that did the picture really did not care about what she was doing. She just did it. She was very organized and very drew very carefully and put everything in its place. And she threw it in the garbage can and forgot about it. So when I left the room, I picked it out of the garbage can, this little eight-year-old girl, and I brought it home and I put it on the kitchen table and to hear my mother's comments. But I was sure she was going to say, oh, this is great. And she said, oh, it's nothing. And after that, I felt I, I was, I was, you know, all my feelings were reaffirmed that, that, you know, it wasn't what the teacher said and it wasn't supposed to, and standard doesn't mean too much. There's a lot of kids that can copy and can draw neat, nice things, but it doesn't even mean they enjoy it, that they're, they're with the picture, they feel it in their gut, in their shama, anything. They just do it because they're, they're very, you know, that there are kids that, co there are people that, great artists that copy very well as well. That's all, I'm not just, just dismissing copying, but only copying without putting your feelings into it and being connected to it. That's the difference. But the, um, the thing that you're pointing out is, is for me to point out that in the book, it tells people how to look at and understand creativity in art through three different sections of the book. And the first section is what is Jewish art? What are the roots of Jewish art? And what are Jewish values? We have to do the values are are what comes through, and it's Jewish subject matter. Um, and the second part, and this is something most people don't know too much about. Um, and the second part is communication and developmental skills, stages of development, how to talk to a child, how to motivate, how to use mistakes. We, we all make mistakes in drawing in anything in life. And mistakes are stepping stones to growth. Mistakes are wonderful. 
I make a mistake, it hurts for a few minutes, it's a little shakes us up a minute, and then I say, well, now what can I do with it? I mean, it's a challenge. It's fa- fascinating. Let's see what I can make out of this mistake. I can, I, of course, I can erase it and start again, or I can make a balloon, make a something round into something else that was supposed to be round that wasn't in the plan, but it still works. So the book um, ha- has all that, and, and art therapy parallels. I'm not an art therapist, but there are many th- parallels in art and that go into art therapy that a, a person, simple things, like if somebody draws something teeny down in the corner, <clears throat> that's a sign, you know, or, or somebody draws something jo- too big and almost floods the sides of the paper, that's also a a bit of a, a sign that should be checked out. But it, there's a whole list of art parallel ther- um, parallel, art therapy parallels. So what's that? So, so Devorah, what's, yeah. let, me, let me just jump in for a second. So uh, clearly, um, if you didn't even read the title of the book, uh, you should realize that Devorah is talking to children, for children. Your focus is clearly... I'm talking to adults. You're talking, to, talking adults to, 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 about talking to adults about their children's I'm talking to adults so children's they know art. how to talk to children. So I wanted to ask you, why do you focus your art? And I was like, it's a double, you're doing both. You're focusing on the parents, teaching the parents how to react or teach their children to be creative. So, but why do you focus so much on children? Oh, that's what I teach. I love working with children. They're they're fresh. They're new. They're 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 fresh paper and fresh ink. <laughs> and and they're I, I don't know. I've always been. I just happened. It just worked out that way. I tried working with older people, which I can do. I can definitely do it, and I have done it. But somehow teaching children, it just kind of came happened to me you know it's where Hashem put me and that's what I I enjoy I just, and I like the kids I like um, you know the, their little personalities and how to see them develop and change and I have a, a girl let's say in one of my classes um, who's about 10 years old now she been, she's been with me for a few years and her mother told me she said you know my daughter doesn't tear up her pictures anymore and I at home when she draws and besides that she's I'm hearing her say to her siblings you know you can fix it you can do it again and we did it like this and we did it like that and Mrs. Pia showed us this and showed us that and I don't know I, I love it I just I don't know they all have their little personalities each of these kids and sometimes they're challenging <laughs> that's but, why we but, enjoy um, them. <laughs> so, so when you're teaching children creativity, you're not looking to create the next great artist. No. What are you exactly. looking to? What are you looking to do then? To find their own inner voice. For the ones that like art, to find their inner part of their inner voice through art to bring it out, to bring their images, their feelings, their reactions to things, their parts of their neshama, all these things to to let it come out instead of keeping it buried down inside, to to utilize all their inner resources. Um, and put it out where other people can see it and see what they have to say visually. So if you had a choice between an adult coming and sharing with you a beautiful work of art, whatever kind of art it is, or a, an 11-year-old 
coming with something that's their creativity, which one, and not which one you're hanging up on your wall, I understand, but which one do you appreciate more? Well, I, let's say a, a child does a drawing that's not so interesting, let's say, but there's one little section, one little uh, inch or two that he did something a little more interesting there. That's what I'm going to focus on. And that's what I'm going to praise the child for that little teeny area. And, 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 and that's because I can see that area. It's very clear to me. And I'll point that out to the parent. I'll say, well, so little, uh, so she did this drawing. Do you see that little area there? Amazing. So, Devora, you wouldn't even realize how time has been flying. I probably <laughs> have a minute left. What, before I tell everyone how they can get your book, um, what would you like to leave us with? In that- about a minute. To appreciate, to realize that as Jewish people, we have an extra dose of creativity embedded in us. The root of it is very spiritual, but we can use it every day in practical means and in, in production of things, tikkun olam, in the home, in the world, in our personal lives, um, with our children, of course, and to appreciate that. And when we appreciate that, we can appreciate all the little nuances in our kids. And when we sit down with the book and we do, we go through the book, by the way, there's a lot of beautiful illustrations in the book, colored, colored pictures. There's, um, Ruth Bifus, who's a, um, well-known illustrator. She did the the chapter illustrations for the 28 chapters. And we have the uh, color insert of um, children's artwork. Um, also here, di- different um, ages and different things they've done. Um, and it's to pass on the, the confidence. Once the parent or teacher understands their, what's there, what they can do, then they'll pass it on to the children. But if they feel blocked, which most people do, um, they won't be able to pass it on. They'll praise the, a, a talented child. All the talented children will get a lot of attention, the you know, ones that do really amazing things. But what about the other ones that might just enjoy doing it? And they're not going to become famous or great artists. I, I really don't care about that. I mean, it's good. It's good, of course, that, that will help everybody, the talented ones as well, what we're doing. But um, I want to just, it's for everybody's self-worth. Tvora, I can't thank you enough. You taught us so much. I learned a lot of things about art and children, and I'm sure you're an amazing teacher of children. If you'd like to get Tvora's book, you can go to Amazon, of course, or Feldheim, or any place where they sell books. It's a great idea for parents, teachers. It's called um, The Joy of, I have it here, somewhere, The Joy of Art for Jewish Children. Devorah, I have to let... Joy of Jewish Art for Children. The Joy of Jewish Art for Children. I was close. The Joy of Jewish (laughs) Art for Children. Devorah, have a great Shabbos. Enjoy Pesach. Thank you for coming on. I hope we'll be in touch again. I just want to... Okay, it's one of my puppets here. Wave to the puppets, (laughs) Devorah. Thank you very much. And we're going to let you go. And again, have a great Shabbos. Okay. Okay, there's Dora with some puppets. Um, we have maybe a minute or so left. I'm not even sure if I have a minute. I have one minute left. Uh, we, we were talking a lot of things about uh, gossip 
And, uh, and, and I just wanted to point out the punishment, I guess almost like measles, the punishment is some type of white blotches that come on the body. Uh, people call it leprosy. But if you think about it, um, the person with this tsaras, with this leprosy, the punishment for speaking gossip is not tended to by a doctor. He's tended to by the priest. Now, the priest can help him spiritually, but how's he going to help him um, medically and physically? So, um, so it must be that it's a spiritual ailment, and the only way to correct it is to go to someone to say, hello, my friend, um, you need to be careful how you speak, what's considered proper speech, what's nice speech, what you shouldn't be saying. And here comes my music. So we only got one quick segment left. So hold through the break. I have an amazing story to share with you. You're listening to Rabbi Tzvi on Let's Talk Torah, and we'll be right back. I'll tell you what happened. Good day, Morty. I got the Central Sauce. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. We are here with David Yost, the original blue Power Ranger. Nobody right. promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. But your, your excuse is garbage. I'm going to pull out my crossbow. All right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. The latest LiftMaster garage door openers and the toughest retractable screens on the market, all by the push of a button. Tarno Doors is celebrating its 50th year anniversary and is the recipient of the 2016 Subcontractor of the Year from the Home Builders Association. Tarno knows doors. Tarno knows doors. Surfing the internet can be good for your brain, especially if you're getting up there in years. UCLA scientists say that the internet searching helps to stimulate your brain function by triggering centers in your brain that control decision-making and complex reasoning. In a study to be published in the American Journal of Geriatric Psychiatry, the researchers say that using the internet to seek out new information might stimulate the brain enough to sustain brain health and your cognitive ability. Before the computer age, the one activity that was linked to an active mind was solving crossword puzzles. The fact that even simple tasks like searching the internet might enhance your brain circuitry suggests that our brains are really sensitive to mental exercise and actually continue to learn as we grow older. So using an internet search engine such as Google produces the same brain activities as reading, but it also increases activity in areas of your brain that control decision making and complex reasoning. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. And we're back. And I hope you enjoyed uh, my last guest, Devora. A lot of fascinating thoughts that she was bringing out with teaching what we'll call art, a creativity to children, and how to teach them to be creative, and how to know what to comment. It's not just enough to say, yeah, beautiful, very nice. Show them what they did right. Teach them ideas to help them be creative instead of just, you know, my kids come home, oh, I'm supposed to be creative. I don't know what to do. I give them a lot of ideas, and we find one that works for them. And, and that book has tons of ideas. It's fantastic. It's really a fantastic book, not expensive, considering that it's like 500 pages. It's with lots of good stuff. Anyways, 
Um, we're not able to be joined by my friend Rabbi Jonas and Goldson this week, so we're going to go straight to our poster if Kelsey is ready. Is Kelsey ready? Poster time. Here we go. We're getting close to the end of my alphabet. We've been a little bit out of order, but we're close enough. This week, I thought Raish um, is pretty much a inverted L. It's a little curvy on the side. Um, it makes an R sound. Depending, interesting enough, what country you're from, um, a New Yorker will have a very like soft R. Um, from Europe, it's a different R. From Mexico, it's a rolling R. It's an R sound, but it's almost like wherever you come from will dictate how the R goes. Its numerical value is 200. And I thought a great word is Roche. Roche means my head. Why is that a good word? Because this week was the, the, like, Rosh Chodesh is the beginning of the month. That's when the new moon comes out. And this month is the Jewish month of Nisan. That is the first month in the year, not the first month in the calendar. It's really very fascinating. Jewish months, the counting of one is this month. This month is called month number one, is the head month, but has nothing to do with the calendar. The calendar turns after the sixth month. So now the seventh month is the same calendar year. Um, I'm sorry, the seventh month is a new calendar year. So you go 1, 2, 3, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. When you go to 1 again, you didn't change the calendar. It's very fascinating. So that's the head of the months. Um, and now i got to tell you this amazing story I heard this week. It's fantastic. So we talk about that if a person opens their eyes, they can see how God plans the world. So my son comes home this week. Um, for his spring break, I guess we'll call it. And he brings a tape, a CD. I say tape. I'm sorry, I'm a little old. Um, he brings a CD, plugs it into the car. We're listening to this amazing story. And I know the players in this story because I went to school in Kew Gardens in Queens. So um, a couple weeks ago, there was a major snowstorm in uh, Queens. So when there's major snowstorms, the, the sanitation department gets delayed. So there's a big rabbi. Um, his name is Rabbi Epstein. He's sitting in his house. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. He's studying. And he hears the sanitation trucks, the garbage trucks, pulling up to his house. There was all kinds of snow. So he quickly runs out with his garbage bags to get everything into the truck because uh, uh, it's the city, Queens. It's not, there's not so much room to leave your garbage out. you got to put it in the side and there was snow, whatever. So he's helping. I don't know if you've ever done this before. He's helping the guys get the garbage onto the truck. So there's a guy there. His name is Theodore. So Theodore looks at this Rabbi Epstein and he says, are you a rabbi? People do that to me all the time. Are you a rabbi? And he said, yes, I am. He said, well, you know, my mother just passed away. So he's thinking his mother passed away and he's here, you know, on his sanitation route. So he says, okay, so what do you need? He says, well, you know, my family always said that my mother would be cremated. But my mother was Jewish, we're Jewish, and I know she wouldn't want to be cremated, but if I call my family that she died, they're going to want to cremate her. So the rabbi said, tell you what, call the funeral home, make all the arrangements. Her husband had already been buried in a local cemetery. Get to a funeral home, get all the arrangements made, and then a few hours before the funeral, call your family and say, Ma died, um, I made all the arrangements already, here's where the funeral is, here's where the burial is going to be, no one will bother you. And sure enough, the next day, next morning, he calls up this Rabbi Epstein. This Rabbi Epstein, you're right. They went with it, no problem. I don't know any rabbis. Could you officiate? And this Rabbi Epstein said, no problem. And he even visited him during the week when mourners are, are usually home. Um, anyways, um, 
so pretty much end of the story. Um, the next week, um, again, the sanitation department is coming by, and their regular time for coming by. And uh, this Rabbi Epstein goes out to see how his friend Theodore, or Pip, is doing. So he says, he's not there. He goes to the guys. He said, hey, where's Theodore or Pip? They said, Theodore or Pip, he doesn't do this route. So the Rabbi Epstein said, yeah, sure, he does the route. He was here last week. Last week, Tuesday at 2 o'clock in the morning. No, no, no. We had overtime. We needed him. He works on the island. He never does this route, and he probably never will. So look at what God had to do. Make it snow. Make the sanitation department come late. Make this guy once in his life be on this route so when his mother dies, he'll run into the one rabbi that's going to run out with his garbage bags, that's going to help him make sure that his mother is buried properly. That is an amazing story of God pulling the strings to help this Jewish woman get buried properly. I found this to be a fantastic story. And as always, I'm confused. Do I have like 15 seconds? It's time to say goodbye. So thank you to our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know I couldn't do without you. Thank you to my wonderful production team fighting through that Skype. Tony, Kelsey, Zach, Angel. I hope I left you some food for thought. Until next week, I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Tony Radio Media. And until next week, don't forget to think about it. The door.